Welcome back to the Lynx Golf Podcast. This is digital editor Al Lunsford. I am here today joined again by a great friend of mine uh, and colleague Jim Frank on the other side of the Skype line. Haven't caught up with Jim in a while. What's been going on the past, I don't know, month, month and a half or so with you? Hey, Al, how are you? Always good to talk to you. Um, well, let's see. My family and I have relocated to upstate New York to ride out the craziness, which is really good for many things, but really not good for golf because uh, we actually had snow the other day. So it was awful sitting here watching the snow come down. It'll warm up one of these days and maybe we'll actually get to more than just think about golf and write about golf, actually get to play some golf. So how about you? Where are you? Still in Bluffton, just off Hilton Head Island down here. There's some golf courses open and you know, I have, haven't taken upon myself to really venture out a ton to play, but I could. It's there if I, if I want to. Uh, may play this weekend. Who knows? But staying in good spirits and, and good health and glad to see that you are as well. So Certainly good spirits because in our time-honored tradition now, we both have a, a glass of something by our side, which I think is especially appropriate this time because in a minute we're going to talk about golf course architecture. But, you know, that's the kind of thing you tend to talk about with the guys after the round in the 19th hole and you know not having a libation close at hand just isn't the same thing when you're talking about golf that's what we're here for so we're partaking as one does as is tradition uh and yes to to jim's point today we're the subject of our podcast is somewhat educational somewhat uh of a reflection of our own experience and a lot of research, reading, writing over the years, especially on Jim's end, um, about architecture and specifically template holes, which was the subject of Jim's, one of Jim's columns from our spring issue of Lynx Magazine, um, which is now out and, and subscribers have probably had the chance to, to read and, and learn a little bit about template holes. But uh, what Jim and I thought we would do is run through kind of the, the gist of that piece uh, what each of these really popular template designs are, what they're made of, how you're supposed to approach it, and then kind of go into a conversation where uh, we get into the the nuts and bolts of, you know, these are all great examples of what great architecture is supposed to be. So what what is that and what, what is architecture supposed to do to the golfer that approaches a hole like that. Yeah, I mean, th you know, this is what always happens. And you and I were just talking about this before. You start, when, whenever we start, and, you know, we get to do this because of what we do for a living, you know, you start to poke around in the golf course world. You know, we write about courses, you write about holes, you write about things like that. And I inevitably wind up, as I said, kind of going down this rabbit hole of architecture. Sort of, you know, what was the architect trying to do, whether or not, he succeeded. Sort of, you know, what what are they trying to make the golfer do? And, um, you know, I found it interesting because I was writing this in the winter for the spring issue. And I suddenly noticed a number of our uh, journalist friends in the golf world, other magazines, other websites, suddenly this idea of template holes. Everyone was talking about it. And I am going to say right here now, I did not get this idea from someone else. I pitched this idea to do sort of a what are the template holes and what do they mean and all that sort of stuff a couple of years ago. And it took me a while to twist George's arm to actually let me do this piece. And then once I actually got into researching it, it's a lot of fun. It's really kind of fascinating and really, you know, gets in a lot of ways to the history of courses. So many of the templates, all of the templates ultimately are based on on designs that people like C.B. McDonald and others saw early on when they were in the UK. A number of them, of course, are from the old course at St. Andrews, which is something, you know, we can talk about. But how these sort of classic designs have been replicated at many other courses, but, and that's part of it, that, you know, and, and that's what we talked about in this piece. These are the templates. This is where you can see the original. These are where the sort of copies or the uh, 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 homages have turned up around the world, mostly on older courses, mostly from older architects, very big with the, you know, Rayner who worked with 
with C.B. McDonald and uh, Charles Banks and, you know, Tillinghast and those guys, you know, had their own sort of twists and turns on these designs. But it gets you to thinking about how golf course architecture has evolved and what even architects now are doing to copy the concept, which is, you know, how do you make a golfer stand on the tee, look at a hole, say, wow, or oi, or how do I play this, or what do I do? And then, you know, do they have the talent, the capacity to do what the architect is asking of them? And, you know, what's that whole sort of give and take between player and architect about? I I wind up, every time I get into one of these pieces, my my mind just goes off on that sort of long, as I said, rabbit hole. Um, and I start, you know, opening books and researching and, you know, things like that, which starts with, if you... If people haven't seen the piece yet, and if they haven't gotten the magazine, it's also available at linksmagazine.com in our on, on our site. But um, one of the things that I find fascinating is when I started kind of researching the, researching the piece, I went looking for what ar- what architects of that era had said about it. And Donald Ross, it starts right out saying, you know, that really that you shouldn't try to copy holes, famous holes. I mean, he actually says that, you know, in trying to make your course fit certain famous hole treatments, you are certain to be doomed to disappointment. Um, That's the very first thing that is in the article, which is sort of fascinating because this whole concept of template holes, now we take for granted. Ross, I guess, didn't, didn't do it all that much. None of his sort of courses seem to have them. But, you know, from that attitude to, as I said, uh, sorry, Don, um, they didn't listen. So these templates have been used and copied both in very strict sort of copying and then what I call sort of kind of template-ish holes ever since. So there you are. That's That was the mindset I was in. And there you go, Al. You got me right back into it. <laughs> down the rabbit hole again down Jim the goes. rabbit hole again <laughs> and he here knew we it. go he knew thankfully it. I'm accompanied by a very nice glass of bourbon so <laughs> rabbits beware well yeah as you said they didn't listen we're glad they did you know everyone's got their own kind of theory on that it seems like but I for one am, am glad they didn't listen either uh, the ones that have chosen <laughs> to, to go down the route of replicating the template holes so without further ado if you want to just start going down the list here we'll kind of explain you know what the, the feature the key key aspects that make a redan oh, that make okay. a be a ritz and, and and whatnot and and a couple examples i'm sure you have gotcha. other thoughts as well so let's well, let's start yeah. with the redan we go we go wild with these starting <laughs> of course with what is undoubtedly the most famous template of all the Famous Redan Hole from North Bedick, Scotland. Why is that? Let me let me stop you real quick. Why is that the most famous template hole of them all? That's an interesting question. I think because it's probably been copied, if not the most. There are a lot of ways to sort of do what a Redan does. It is a par three that goes to a raised, sometimes slightly, sometimes fairly significantly raised green that angles away. You know, a Redan is actually a military fortification. And um, um, in the Crimean War, so it's the late 1800s, was when the, I guess, when the British soldiers in you know, face this sort of raised rampart. So it looks like a V with the pointy end of the V sort of coming toward you. And then the whole angles out behind that. And when it's raised up as a military fortification, it makes it hard to scale up this because you're being fired down upon um, and it's angled and it's sloped and all that. Well, as a golf hole, you're trying to land the ball, and it's usually, you know, a mid-length par three. I, th- I think the one at uh, Barrick is now about 170 yards or something like that. It needs to be long enough that you're not necessarily hitting a short iron in so that the ball isn't sort of falling straight down, but it's coming on a flatter 
trajectory. So you need to assume that it's going to land and then run. So you need to land it on the right side of the slope. So it slopes down to wherever the hole is. There are bunkers, you know, sort of guarding it in front as well. So it's all this sort of playing the angle, playing the wind, so that you're hitting the right shot in, whether it's a draw or a fade, that will land and take the slope and then feed it into the hole. And a lot of the activity up at the top there is blind because it's a raised, you know, it's on top of a mound. Now, you know, there there are a number of others um, the hole was, I don't want to say copied, because many people say that C.B. McDonald actually improved on the Redan when he built the National Golf Links of America. Then the fourth hole there, as I said, it's a little more visible. And some people like that rather than the more hidden version in Scotland at North Berwick. Um, there is one at Yeamans Hall. There's one at Mid-Ocean. Again, a C.B. McDonald course. Yeamans, of course, a Rainer course. Almost all of the ones that are mentioned in the article, the places that it was, that these templates were used most often and most authentically, if you will, were done by Rainer McDonald, Banks, these guys who worked together a lot in that, you know, in the first third, roughly, of the of the 20th century. And they just kept, you know, taking these templates. This was their M.O. and found other ways and, and you know, ways to kind of play with them and change them. And, and then there are reverse redans and other kind of aspects. But it's just it's such a distinctive hole, I think, also because it's a par three. So it lends itself to so almost anybody being able to sort of crack the code, which is a point that I want to get to later, that, you know, a lot of these of what the architect is doing is the golfer good enough to do it. But with a par three where you're hitting, you know, I don't know, five iron, six iron, something like that in there, you know, we can, most of us playing the game a little bit can have enough control over that shot that we can say, oh, okay, I need to aim this on the right side, let it land there and run down. One of the, and you know, really the last point I'll make about the Redan, although we could talk about that hole alone for an entire hour or more. One of the holes that is Redan-ish is number 16 at Augusta, of course. You know, we've all seen players hit it mm-hmm. in there and feed it down on that angle. Now, it's not raised. Um, it doesn't, as a friend of mine was pointing out to me earlier today, it doesn't slope as much back to front, which most Redans do, but that concept of knowing where to land it and letting it feed to a par three that's protected by hazards at Augusta, of course, it's the water, but usually it's for a Redan, it's sand. But these are the concepts, and that's what's so interesting about these template holes is how adaptable the concept of the hole, much more than the specifics that they use all the time. Another good example is the Eden hole. So that's the original Eden is 11 at the old course. Well, so that's about having the river Eden or the Eden estuary right behind the hole so that, you know, you have to play that you're not going to, you're not going to find the hazard behind it Wind, again, always comes into play on the old Scottish courses. You know, you need to also take into account the green of an Eden slopes. You know, so as I as I wrote in that in the article on the old course where the Eden hole is about 175 yards, your club of choice can be anywhere from a wedge to a driver. It's St. Andrews. There's wind. There's all sorts of, you know, the elements. So it's just finding the green, not letting it run too far. Many of the reproductions use something other than water behind it, very often sand, very often a long, you know, kind of a big, a big sand area that sort of wraps around the shape of the green in the back. So, you know, how these architects over the years have adapted this concept of trouble primarily behind a sloped green. The other thing about the Eden, of course, are the bunkers in front. So you got to get over these bunkers. So, you know, it's they were trying to, you know, use all their tricks, both both the natural, you know, what the land 
provided. Certainly at St. Andrews, they didn't move the river. It was there. So it was already there. So how do you sort of sandwich the green between the river behind, the bunkers and a certain amount of hills and stuff in front? You're challenging the golfer to hit a particular shot. And, you know, there we go into this whole thing. What is the architect asking you to do versus what are you capable um, uh, you right. Know, so, I mean, you you and I started to talk about this earlier. You're a much better golfer than I. You have more control over your ability to hit the shot that you want, and yet both of us can enjoy a lot of these holes. I mean, what do you do when you're you know you come to a hole, you see that there's a bunker, you know, on the right side? Say, what's your thought process? I mean, you can. You can either hit it at the bunker or away from the bunker. What What do you think of? Yeah, well, that kind of I goes to your point about these two holes in particular. They're par threes, so you're really only being demanded one shot, right? And that's maybe that kind of to your point about them being a little more accessible to any golfers. You're only being required to to hit one instead of kind of an approach to another shot like on a on a par 4 or par 5 in this style. If I I'll take for example the 6th at Yamens Hall, which I have played and and Yamens incorporates so many of these template holes. Um it does. And that's your Redan, your classic Redan hole and I was so excited to approach that hole because you know, I'm not like a fantastic golfer. I'm I'm a three handicap, but I tend to know where the ball is going most of the time, I'd say. And George Pepper, I played with him, and he's hyping me up about each of these holes and getting more and more excited the, the further we go along the golf course. But when we get to six, it's like, yes, this is one of my favorite holes. This is exactly where you need to hit it, and the ball is just going to funnel right where you want to go. And so I'm knowing to avoid the bunker i think on the left side of that hole kind of accessible right there yep and and all you have to do is think of this the right side of the green with the big wall up the side think of that as the middle of the green and then as long as you can hit it somewhere in there it's going to feed towards the pin so and i i kind of take that approach as well with any sort of hazard around a green I like to try to hit the middle, um, but I'm comfortable going at pins should I feel like it. Sometimes you're only playing a course once, and you have that mentality of, you know, I didn't come here to lay up. I didn't come here to, to make pars and bogeys. So, But that's what I liked about that Redan hole was that it was a specific place. You were being told to hit it and feeling like, I could hit it and have a really good chance of getting a really good score on that hole. I think there's another thing, you know, and you started to, to sort of get there, which is it so much depends also where these template holes, particularly now on other courses, you know, not the originals, fall in the course of play. You know, if it's like the too early in there and you're not really grooved or warmed up or you, you know, you aren't sure this day whether you're, you know, whether you're going to be kind of long and loose or, you know, short and, you know, tense, stuff like that. So a par three where you can usually, you know, I can, you know, I can probably hit that shot, as you said. And even a, you know, less skilled golfer like myself, you know, you, you, you sort of come up there and say, okay, I know, I know enough about this, particularly if you're playing with someone like George, who's been talking in your ear the entire time. And I probably played a hundred rounds of golf with, with him. And he's constantly talking in your ear, particularly about your score, whether or not you want to know it. So you're great. You are all hyped up with anticipation. And then it's like, okay, now I've got to, you know, kind of settle myself and, I know what to do. Either I can see it or someone has told me about it or often I've read about this hole. You you know, you come to a place like Yemen's and you know there are certain holes that you are going to approach and you know, you're like hyped up for them, right? You know, it's like the 17 at, at Sawgrass. You know, mm-hmm. you, the entire yeah. round is building to this hole. You know that. And I inevitably find whatever the bunker is that they say you shouldn't be in. And I inevitably say, well, you know what? I came here for the 
for the, you know, for the history, for the experience. What fun is it if you don't try to get out of the bunker? So, I mean, I've done that Justified. more redans than I care to remember. So, yeah. but yeah, it's, I prefer it's, being it, in the bunker. Yeah, right. Oh, I wanted to be there <laughs> so I could see if I could play it that way. Um, let me tell you, when you're in the bunker at National, you don't want to be there. You know, when when you're in some of the other bunkers on some of these other holes that we are going to talk about, like these huge, you know, like Hell's Half Acre or things like that, you're like, wow, there's no way you can go, boy, I really wanted to be there. So um, it's it can be a real um, – I almost – I almost said a word we're not supposed to say on the on broadcast, so it could be yes. um, part of the experience. So the next one you <laughs> mentioned the Biarritz, which is um, really interesting because that hole, the original Biarritz hole from France, doesn't exist anymore. I mean, it's been the course exists golf de, golf de Biarritz in France. The course exists. But the template hole itself, which was number three, was a victim of World War II. The course itself was built right before the 1900s. And there's a whole other story about why there was golf in southern France, which is a whole other thing. But that hole, so it's, a, again, a par three. And interesting, a number of these templates are par threes. And I think, again, because they're about the green. And, you know, you wouldn't do this after, you know, to your point, you do it on the one-shotters where the green is all that matters. You know, having to also try to come into a redan hole, for example, as an approach, oh, my God. Then you're, like, tripling or quadrupling the anxiety and the stuff. Yeah. Okay, so I need to come into it from the right side, no less. You know, here, at least, if you're on the tee. So the Biarritz was a very long, narrow green with this great big swale. I mean, it could be three to five feet deep. In the middle, and I have played the one at Yale. I've also played a couple of the others. There's one at Mid Ocean, but particularly I remember the one at Yale, which is which is number nine. So you're halfway through the round, you know, you sort of, you know, you're in whatever your game is, and you come to this, you know, 160, 180, as I recall, yard shot with this monstrous. You know, long, narrow green with this huge depression in the middle of it. And all depending where the pin is, front or back of this, it's can I put the ball where I want and can I stop it? If it's in front, can I make it stop so it won't roll into the depression? If it's in back, can I carry it to the back half of the green, whatever it is? And it is actually one thing about of Biarritz that I found is if you're on the wrong side, it's still fun because trying to putt through it is a trip. I mean, it, it has everything but a windmill and a clown's mouth then because you're putting you know, really, you know, 40 yards sometimes through this swale that you could, you know, that you could lie down and take a nap in. So it's, you know, that's kind of fun. One of the things I found in researching this is that this is a green shape that is being used now on par four and par five holes as well so that you know mm-hmm. you can sort of incorporate that big swale because it does kind of make it as often with an approach shot it's okay do you want to be at the back of the green do you want to be at the front of the green so you're seeing a swale and a green incorporated other ways um, yeah it's what, a little bit what? you know a, a little whereas the first couple we talked about were about really about accuracy Right. This one, this one is a little more forgiving, but more about distance control. And I think a lot of people are really drawn to this design because they can recognize it. It's so distinct yeah. that they yeah. they know a beer at hole and they see one. In fact, I run our social media accounts, and our top Instagram post of all time now is this beer at hole at Piping Rock that we happen to have a drone mm-hmm. shot. Um, a buddy of mine gave me to use, and. Everyone just it just blew up. Everyone loved it. But, I'm yeah. sure. Well, yeah, because it's it's. Uh, I think also golfers, you know, with a little bit of experience, whenever they see it, they sort of recognize something classic and something just unusual enough. I can remember the first time I played Mid Ocean in Bermuda, which is a CB McDonald, and there, and I don't know if it's typical of all of the Beeritz holes that we talk about, you know, but there the. The T is elevated enough that you're looking down on the green, which 
partly flattens the swale. You don't realize how deep it is, but also you know that you're looking at something and you just go, wow, that's really funky. And, you know, and, and then you, you know, you know, sort of the more that you study this, you realize that's one of those that was incorporated. You know, I say all the time, let's go down this rabbit hole a second. You're C.B. McDonald, you're Seth Rayner, you're, you know, you were doing these things back in the, you know, 1910s, 1920s, 1930s. Your arsenal of weapons to throw at the golfer are different, were so different, you know. Also, it was very different equipment they were playing. Keep that in mind. So you kind of come to a par three. Often the land at a par three, you know, the land where the architect chooses to put a par three is kind of in between two really good places, two really good pieces of interesting land where a par four, where a longer hole works really well. So, you know, unless they're, you know, hitting over the Pacific Ocean or something, because not every course is, you know, is pebble or on the Atlantic is like fishers where you have these wonderful, you know, water, you know, they aren't all Hawaii. They have this piece of land. So rather than try to, you know, make the shot itself or the carry the issue, the green becomes the issue. And that's why I think so many of these holes are par threes because they came up with these brilliant ways of challenging the golfer that are about, as you said, it's about distance. The other thing, of course, about the beer it's we didn't talk about is they usually line that green with these long skinny bunkers. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. they, they so still got to hit know, the green, right? You still have to hit it straight enough, but so it's straight is important, not as important as the distance, but you've got to, you know, once again, how, how many golf shots are there where you don't have to think about both, you know, accuracy and length. So that's what it yeah. is. Yeah, imagine that, like, you hit it 40 yards short in one of those lined bunkers on the right, and then you've got a, yeah. a long right. bunker shot to try to land it on the right side of that shelf. That just adds a, yeah. another yeah, fact. and. And again, you start thinking about, okay, when was this done and who did it? What were they trying to do? What was their philosophy? And, you know, you need to back up and think, who were they designing for? Who was the audience? Was it a private club? Was it a resort? You know, all these sort of things that come into play when you start to uh, kind of reverse engineer what the architect must have been thinking about. So it, it's Sound- just, okay, rabbit, <laughs> another rabbit hole. Yeah, it you sounds like a lot. Alps? Sounds like a lot to think about on the T is what I was going to say. I don't know. Well, you yeah. Save that for the research. Yeah, but, but and then I started to think about it. Okay, well, you know what? This is what they were paying the architect to do, right? You know, someone, you know, and, you know, we could talk about this any time, but this point of the architect had a job to do. And, you know, they're, they're doing things, you know, most golfers don't, aren't aware of or, you know, can't compensate for or can't play to. So it does, it just starts to, I mean, I am sitting here spinning my fingers, um, this like, you know, you really start to look into it. And some people do, you know, we, we mentioned this earlier. I think you're either a golf architect nut or it means little to nothing to you. It's just one of those, it's an aspect of golf that I've found from my years in this business that people either really really love and go crazy, you know, websites and reading books and, you know, studying and all this sort of stuff. And these people can tell you every hole they ever played. Um, I mean, I just had this experience today talking to a friend of mine who was a golf architect groupie. I don't know how else to describe him. And, you know, he hasn't been in the business nearly as long as I have and isn't in the same sort of thing. And I played a lot. And he remembers aspects of holes and so that that people you know they study it they know these golf holes better than they know their children which is always a little (laughs) frightening but there is that aspect to this part of golf that is truly fascinating for an admittedly small percentage of people but they're there and and i keep thinking you know the you know, the Donald Rosses, the Alistair McKenzie's are wherever they are now, kind of looking up or down at those of us playing these holes and kind of snickering and saying, yeah, that's, you know, that's what we wanted. We wanted to, like, mess with your mind. So, um, <laughs> before, uh, uh, not a different rabbit to, hole, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 endless rabbit holes. So. The Alps hole, um, most 
famously the 17th at Prestwick in Scotland, you know, one of the original open championship courses, um, a spectacular, if you ever have the chance to play Prestwick, and I'm saying this not to you alone, Al, but everyone, you want to see Prestwick, Cruden Bay, a couple of these really wonderfully funky, unusual courses in Scotland, in the UK that are um, so full of quirks and, you know, things that we might look at and say, what were they thinking? And said, well, it was the land was thinking partly. And again, this is, you know, these are things that were built in the 1870s, 1880s. It was a very different game. And they were so aware of of the golfer's penchant for, you know, wanting to be challenged or needing to be challenged. So the Alps, because there is, you know, now it's almost any, as I write, any par four or par five hole that has a big hill or mound, literally an Alp, in between the fairway, you know, usually right in front of the green. So it makes the green a blind shot. Now, I'm sure you've played holes where you end up Alps, but this idea of you don't know where your approach has landed. And this is about, you know, kind of running up that hill, wanting to see where you have finished. And that's, you know, that comes into into play in a couple of these holes, this idea of you don't know. And, you know, blind holes now, very controversial, you know, kind of subject about whether holes should be blind, whether whether you should be asked to you know, hit into a green that you can't see. And I would argue some of the greatest greatest golf courses in the world feature a hole or two that you're, you know, there's a little bit of hit and hope, but you know when you're faced with one of those what you're trying to do. You know, often there's a, there'll be a stick at the top of the hill that you have to hit it over or something. It's, you know, in 18 holes of golf, you got to throw some weird stuff at people. <laughs> you know, you yeah. got to keep them interested. You got to, yeah. you've got to find, and it's different ways to challenge them. You can't keep challenging them the same way. Like every hole is, you know, long. Like, so you throw this, throw this different stuff at people. Interesting with the Alps. That's another one that CB McDonald, when he, when he put his, his hole, which is number three at national, which is, you know, interestingly comes right before the Redan. So he went from an Alps with this blind shot over the over this mound, although he moved it. He he angled the original Alps at Presswick. And again, it's the 17th hole pretty straight away. The one at National angles a bit. So you have sort of different ways that you can play it again. What these people did to take these templates and alter them is really, you know, really kind of fascinating um and then you you know because he he wanted you to hit over the you know over the highest part of this mound in the way the other thing about the original at prestwick is there is this bunker that you don't see right you are hidden from an expanse of sand but not just a bunker it's one they call sahara for obvious reasons it's big now now you get into, okay, if I've only played this course once, or if I'm only playing this course for the first time, I don't, I may have heard about it, but I don't know. If it's a private club, as most of these were, particularly back then when it was only the elite or the wealthy or the well-connected who were playing them, they were playing them over and over and over again. So they got to learn, you know, they knew what they were, what they were going to confront. So now you're talking about a whole other set of sort of ways to look at it. How do you challenge a challenge a player who's played at your course, you know, 10, 50, 100 times? So, another thing about the template holes is their constant is the uh, how do I put this? The features themselves stay the same, but the challenge is always there, is always a little different. You know, I'm sure that, you know, even a good golfer playing an outsole 100 times has landed his ball in you know probably thirty different places or whatever it is. So it's, all of yeah, these aspects come into it. Yeah, it's. I was going to say you're picking the thoughts right out of my brain as I'm thinking them because I'm thinking of the one Alps hole that you're I know. Holes, are you? Yeah, the one that I've had the chance to play is, 
and I had to look this up to make sure I understood what it was because it wasn't on the original list, but the, the fifth hole at Long Cove Club down here in Hilton Head is, and that's what we're talking about with the Alps. You know, you, you mentioned there, there are certain holes that a lot of people have played where the green may be elevated and you can't see exactly where the ball lands, but you know where the green is. That's not this. This is you actually cannot see anything about the green itself. Yep. So, and the thought that came to my mind is that of all these, that's the type of hole that I want to go back and play over and over again because the first time I played it felt like a cheap shot. It's like, you got to be yeah. kidding me. Like, I have no idea what to do or where to, where exactly to go. I, you have to run up and kind of check it out and, and pick a line and go from there. Right. But, uh, but yeah, that's interesting that you, that you brought that up, the aspect of the private clubs where guys were getting so, the chance to I, really I think master that's a part, this. I, I think that's a part of architecture. And I've talked to architects about it. They are designing, I don't know about very differently, but, you know, one of the first things they'll ask an owner or, you know, someone who's asked them to build a course for them is, who is it for? Is it a public course? Is it a resort course? Is it a private course? Those are three very different audiences because of the frequency of play, but also because of what people expect from the experience. You know, you go to a resort course. I mean, how, how many people are going back to the resort again and again and again. It happens, but it's not a big deal. Those resort courses, think about it. They have to wow you on 18 tees, on 18 greens. It's bang, bang, bang. Partly because you're paying a, you know, usually probably paying a pretty penny for this. So you got to get your money's worth. A public course, you know, people are coming back, but you know, they don't have the same, uh, what's, uh, 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 what's the word, kind of relationship with the course, with the holes, with the architecture that they do at a private club. You start talking to private club members about their courses, and, you know, there's a very famous thought or quote attributed to, to a gentleman, a late gentleman by the name of Frank Hannigan, who was the executive director of the USGA for many, many years, and one of the great sort of wits and kind of thinkers in this game once upon a said, you know, you can insult a man's wife and his family and his dog, but don't insult his golf club. <laughs> so yeah. think about, you know, the the sort of, you know, the relationship, the association that a person has with his course, with his club. That that comes into play too. And that's not new. I mean these architects knew that. All right. For the sake of brevity, not that this is being brief, the next one is the Cape Hole. Now this is one probably most people have seen. Seen a version of whether they realize it or not. And interestingly, the credit is actually given to CB McDonald, who may have seen things like this in the UK, but his so the fourteenth hole at the national, the famous fifth hole at mid-ocean in Bermuda. So this is a usually a long hole that sweeps pretty dramatically, 90 degrees around a hazard, right or left, very often a lake, a pond, some big body of water, an ocean, something like that, where what you need to be able to do is know that I hit my tee shot a specific yardage. And then it's how much am I going to bite off? You know, how, how much can I gamble? Where do I aim? I need to carry it, you know, 250 if I go over here, but it's 220 if I go there on that line of the angle. So it's, and then at that point, the fairway, because it's angled, uh, you know, these these holes have have turned up to 90 degrees to you. So now you're hitting into a pretty narrow area of the fairway, very often with a bunker on the far side. You know, where do I aim it? Can I hit it there? And once you've found the fairway, now your approach into the green, that green is still hugging that same hazard. And again, it's usually water. Maybe the example people are going to know best, and it's a moderate cape, but it's a cape, and you brought it up earlier, is the 18th at Pebble. So where am I now? On that one, rarely, you know, they're not going over the water on the tee shot very much. But imagine you angle that hole more severely to the left, 
and you're trying to hit into, you know, the narrower part of the fairway. That's what a cape is. Where pebble comes in is really on the approach into the, or hitting into the green. But also it's a par five. You have a little more room. You can stay further out to the right. But that's the concept. One, one of my favorite lines, and I quoted it in the piece, and unfortunately I didn't get enough there just wasn't enough opportunity to quote from the various architects that I reached out to and said, hey, tell me your favorite Redan, your favorite Eden, stuff like that. Tom Doak said that half the holes that Pete I ever built are cape holes. Uh, maybe 18 at Sawgrass is a better example than 18 at Pebble. You do have to hit it over the water. Well, they do. <laughs> we can steer further right, perhaps. And then you're coming right back at it a green that is tucked up against that water. So this idea of, you know, kind of, how, you know, how much can you bite off, still find the fairway so that you have a controlled shot into a green that is, again, hard against this water, hard against this hazard, that's a cape. So, yeah. um, and there and that, are numerous examples. Yeah, to, and to your point, there's a, a very, a couple really not, notable examples on that list that people can actually, you know, once you come around to the players and then the AT&T Pro-Am, um, see how the professionals approach that kind of challenge. Um, right. But I, yeah. I would suggest anybody listening to this, if you want to see a real cape, go online. You should Google the fifth at mid-ocean. That's the, in my mind. And I've played... Well, I played all four of the ones listed, actually, National Mid-Ocean. The one at Mid-Ocean, because you're hitting over this huge expanse of water, really just like, and you stand there on the tee, elevated tee, kind of looking down at this going, where do I hit it? You know, mm -hmm. now, you know, you come back, you play it the second time, the third time, the fourth time, you know, you have a better sense of what the distances are, but that's, you know, so much of this is, you know, and then... Al, and I'm sure you have had this, and I'll, you know, again, using you as a better player. You know, nine times out of ten, you can hit that 260-yard pretty straight tee shot. But you come up to one of these holes, you know it's famous, and you just choke and dump it right in the lake, right? All you want to do is is bite off more than you can chew. and Because I, I think I, you know, if I hit it... If I swing hard enough, I, if I get enough of this one, you know, I can take a little bit more, and that's exactly what they want you to do, it seems like. Yeah. See, now there's the difference between you and me. You go the slightly longer route. I go the slightly more chicken route. <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've put myself in the bunker on the other side of the fairway on holes like this more often than I care. But you know what? That's why the bunker's there. You know, yeah. they knew we were right, going to do this. Right. A lot yeah. smarter than we credit for. Um, Diabolical. I'm going to save the next one, at least in the order, in the article for last because it's so good. Okay. The next two, and, you know, as I said, other people argue there are other templates. So two of them. So the punch bowl, now you're talking just about a punch bowl green, which is literally that. It's a great big bowl. Very often it's um, – it's somewhat hidden because, again, where did my ball land up? You don't see it. Even if you could see it, a punch bowl green is usually below the surface that you can see. So it's a blind shot. But, you know, because they're shaped the way they are, if you are ever at the green seeing shots come in, it can be really fun to sort of watch the trace that the shot makes on the green. And they sort of, you know, they're – they are built to sort of um, to funnel toward the hole. That's part of the fun. And there's a bunch of older ones. There is one at one at uh, one at uh, Hoylake and at Royal Sink Ports, both in England. Sixteen at National. Then you get to the Creek Club at Chicago. At Sleep. All these older old number nine at the Black Horse at Streamsong, which is Gil Hans's new course. There is. Just a great example, because anyone can see this sort of thing. You're hitting into this great big dent, great big depression, 
but it but I watch balls. They just I mean, it's like watching them in one of those sort of thrill rides. It just swings around and around and gets closer and closer to the hole. That's what it's all about. And that exultation of, you know, running up to the green and saying, where would I end up? Where would I end up is a lot right. of what, which is a lot about the punch ball. One of the ones that's maybe a little lesser is a cardinal, and I think people tend to mistake. They all, they all, a lot of people know about number three at Prestwick. Again, Prestwick. Look, it's Prestwick, the old course, North Berwick, Royal Liverpool, Singports. These old, wonderful courses where they were literally creating the templates, but creating all the examples that we talk about now, a hundred plus years later, you know. Give the architects credit. So the Cardinal at Presswick, this massive bunker that plays halfway along this, the you know, this very long, this very big par five hole. But the key thing about a Cardinal is that it is a, a double dog leg and holes that bend more than once. Very interesting. You know, you, you could argue why they, they really templates, but it's this use of a hole that bends, and sometimes it bends twice the same direction. Sometimes it bends right once and left the other time. But it's this idea that a hole doesn't have to move the same direction, the same angle all the way through. And that's what's really, I, I think that's sort of the more interesting part about the cardinal. It's not the great big bunker, which certainly traps a lot of people. But so, you know, when you see these holes that move more than one direction, along the way, or move two different directions, or bend twice. You know, this idea of bending, early on, a lot of golf holes were just dead straight, and they had to throw something in the middle. When they started taking the land and saying, hey, what about if it goes, you know, like that, that's when you get kind of interesting. And I just want to get, because I want to jump to a template that a lot of people know, they know the hole which is the road hole at St. Andrews, number 17. And I was just got embroiled in a rabbit hole conversation with a friend of mine today. The thing about the road hole, we've all seen it in the Open Championship. You stand on the tee, you're hitting now over what is part of the, of the um, Old Course Hotel and was originally literally railroad, railway sheds where they stored stuff for the railway. So you, you're hitting over that, but that's, that's there to sort of, how gutsy can you be? Because you can take, if mm -hmm. you take it over the shed, over the hotel, you're setting yourself up for a better angle into the green. And that's what these things do. If you're a little more chicken like I am and you go out, you know, away from the hotel. Well, not the first time. I bopped it right off the hotel the first time I played the hole. But if you stay out to the left, which is what it's, you know, really psychologically saying to you, stay left, stay left, stay left. Your angle then into the green is over probably the nastiest bunker in golf. The road hole bunker short and left of the green at 17 at the old course has ruined many a player's open championship hopes to say nothing of a gazillion amateurs. The point is the drive is telling you you know, how do you want to approach this green? Because the further left you are on the approach, the more you are bringing into play a bunker. Going in into the green at its narrowest, you know, this is all about if you stay right, you come into the, into the green the long way. You stay left, you're coming into it narrow and the bunker. In some ways, it is the most brilliant strategy we have in golf, and it's right there all in one hole. Now, it helps that there's the wall behind and the path, and, you know, we've all seen players in the Open Championship having to, you know, actually turn away from the hole, try to bounce it off the wall and get it back. You know, all those things are just because of they made a mistake probably on the tee shot. Yeah. Well, I was going to use that as, as hopefully the perfect segue into the point we were we addressed at the beginning of the podcast, which it all kind of ties back to good architecture, good, really, what, really what it is and what it's supposed to be. That's yeah. a, we've kind of, I think we've come kind of full circle and, and the road hole is a perfect example. It's so brilliant, but it's brilliance. This is the true, in, in my mind, the true 
example of brilliance because the more you study it, the better it gets, or the more interesting it gets. And, you know, you stand on that T, you can barely see the green, you don't see the bunker, you see this building there. Now, here's a case, you know, the old course is a public course, anybody can play it, not a private club where, where you're assuming you're going to have the same players over and over again. But, you know, what a brilliant piece of work by a combination of nature and old Tom Morris and, you know, whomever has tweaked that whole or that course in the, what, 300 years since, whatever it is. Think about that and think about how those holes and so many of the holes at the old courses and the Prestwicks and the Muirfields, you know, have influenced, you know, have imprinted in our minds what a golf hole, what golf strategy should be. And this is where I go when I go down the you know, start 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 thinking about how architects have taken fairly basic principles, whether it's camouflage or whether it's um, you know, I put a bunker there for a reason. Every golfer, here I go again. Every golfer, you're standing on a tee, not a par three. Well, sometimes not a par three. You stand on a hole. You see a bunker. Your first question to yourself should be, why did the architect put that there? And I have a lovely story, which we could end this with and just let people go off on their own, of actually walking a course that was being renovated with one of my favorite golf architect friends, gentleman, gentleman by the name of Jim Urbina, who used to work for Tom Doak and is now on his own. And he was redoing a, um, a Tillinghast course not too far north of New York City. This must be 10 years ago or so. And in the interim years, this course had been redone by Trent Jones Sr. And when Tillinghast laid out the course, he put the he put a bunker. This is on a dog leg, kind of medium length par four that with a bend in it, with a dog leg in it. When Tillinghast designed the hole, he put the bunker inside the dog leg. So in the crook of the bend. Okay? When Trent Jones in the 60s or something worked on the course, he moved that bunker from the inside of the elbow to the outside of the elbow, which might not seem like a lot, but it completely changes the strategy of the hole. When Tillinghast did it, his idea was, I am daring you to hit it as close to this bunker as possible because that will leave you the best, shortest angle in. When Trent Jones moved it to the outside, that bunker is now screaming, stay away, stay away, stay away, stay away, stay away. Now, you could argue his point was he's trying to push you into the better part or away from it. But which is the more strategic and ultimately, I would say, um, gratifying way to play this? To challenge yourself by trying to get as close to the hazard as possible or to just stay as far from it as possible. So you stand on a tee of almost any hole, and you look down the fairway, which we're supposed to do. That's why they did it. And say, what is the architect asking me to do? What's the best way to play this? I will say the most interesting I've found, any Pete Dye course, you stand on a tee and you're like, well, Pete, you know, was brilliant at this. As hard or as funky, quirky, whatever people think Pete's courses were, there was an intent on every hole. He put things where they did, where he did for a reason. You're figuring out what the puzzle is or what he's trying to tell you. That's such a part of the joy of playing this game is I'm standing there thinking, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. How do you feel about that? <laughs> well, I I try to boil it down in a nutshell. And two really good points that you made in your article talking about good architecture creates challenges with alternatives. So options, there's a lot of different things you can do when you approach a hole. It's a good test of golfers of any ability. Um, back to your point, you know, a tough but fair hole 
I guess you could say, sometimes yep. tougher, some tougher than others. But one that offers, if you're able to play it right, the buzz words, risk reward that you always hear can really come into play. Well, but, and, yeah. and fair. I think that's, you know, I would say there are two extremes. There is the hole where you can hit it anywhere and, you know, kind of save yourself. And then there's the hole where there's only one way to play it. Those are the extremes. The really good ones are the ones in the middle where there are three, four really acceptable, intelligent, doable lines of play. If I play it out to the left, I can come back, but I have to come over this bunker. If I play it to the right, I've shortened it. I have a better angle in, but it's harder to play it to the right because, you know, it's this, you know, it's this sort of trying to see, see the hole from a bird's eye view. So you get to see it all. Or as they often say, trying to stand on the green and look back. Anyone who's ever played, for example, Pine Valley, which, you know, everyone you know, dreams of playing Pine Valley, number one course in the world, blah, 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 blah. And you stand on those tees and you're just, you can't swallow. It just looks like you stand on the greens and look back. It's like, my God, look at all that room that was there. Why didn't I know that? Because brilliant architecture hides from you the easy. It says, you know, you know, you've got to know it. You got to think. You got to work it out. You got to be able to hit the shots. All those sorts of things. You know, otherwise we're just, I don't know. Otherwise golf just becomes bowling, right? You're just throwing it down a straight line. So this is, you know, all these things. So anyone, and I'm going to end on this because we better end at some point. <laughs> if you don't understand or don't think you understand or don't really get what architecture is all about, stand on a tee or try to get a, a course map, an aerial, and look at it from above and try to think, why did the architect do what he did? You know, why are those bunkers there? Why is the green contoured the way it is? What are they asking me to do? What's the best way? Forget that I'm a, you know, 20 handicap. What is the best line? What's the best way? What's the, you know, what are they pushing me to do? What is this whole telling me to do? Because every golf hole is telling you to do something. Some of them might be telling you, hit it over here, hit it over here, when what they're really trying to do is help you lose a ball or find the water. Others are camouflaging, kind of disguising the right way to do it. It's just, and, and you know, this is not any great deep thought. This is just, this is such an intrinsic part of playing the game. I say this all the time. I know of only one other activity, one other sport in the world where the field of play, where the land on which we do this activity changes and matters from place to place to place. Every baseball diamond is the same size. Every tennis court's a same size rectangle. Every soccer pitch, every football field, whatever it is. The only sports that I know where the field of play alternates and therefore affects how we do what we do is golf and skiing. And if someone knows of another one <laughs> where the shape, the size, the of the field of play alters how we do it, I'm not aware. But every mountain is different somewhat, although you're all going downhill. But nowhere more so does the field of play come into play as it does in golf. And that's, and, you know, how the architect is, has created a, a game board, if you will, that's their job. And I, I mean, I find it fascinating whether or not I can do what they want. But I stand there and just say, oh, God, look at what he did. So Right. I think at its core, when you talk about golf being a mental game or a strategy, a thinking game, whatever 90, whatever percent mental golf is, I think at its core, 
this is kind of where that lies. Um, Absolutely. And it, and it's all fascinating. And we could talk about it for for hours. Or, or at and least Jim, do. at least Jim could. At least Jim could. You know. Oh yeah, easily. We easily. we can so always. I apologize if I've lost anybody, <laughs> bored anybody. But you know, I I just anyone who doesn't kind of get this, I I would really just emphasize try to get this because it will so enlarge your appreciation of what's great about golf. Yeah. I hope someone has gotten something out of this besides me. Well, please uh, visit linksmagazine.com and read Jim's piece, Template Holes, Golf's Most Mimicked Designs. And please feel free to reach out to us uh, and let us know your thoughts, your opinions. There are other template holes out there that I'm sure people like. Uh, that they want to include and, and let us know about those too. But hopefully this sparks a good conversation, a good thinking process and people about how they should actually approach their next round of golf, whenever that may when, be. When, when it is we're all able to get back to a golf course, I would strongly urge everyone when they're done playing and they're sitting with their buddies in the bar, in the grill, in the 19th hole, having a lovely little drink and enjoying that moment that no other game gives us that ability to reflect on what we've just spent four hours doing think about the course you played and just you know give it give it its due and the architect and how whether or not you realized it the course and the architect really made what you did something special Sounds like a plan. I will report back to you when I'm able to do such a thing. Can't Mr. wait. Frank. But uh, thank you again for joining me. Um, always a pleasure, Al. Stay healthy. Always a pleasure. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We'll try to do that. All right. Take care. Talk to you soon. You too. Bye-bye.